Hello and happy week three of Nintendo Month. You're listening to another episode of the Super Mercado Brothers Video Game Music Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. This is a podcast where we share and discuss the very best in video game music. My name is Carl Brueggemann. And I'm his brother, Will Brueggemann. Boy, do we ever have some of the very best in video game music. I'm so excited for today's episode. Uh, I, I sort of feel long overdue, but also perfect... I don't know. Spiritually, this feels right to do this episode now because it today feels like we're going to focus. Yeah, we're going to focus on the music of the Nintendo GameCube. This is kind of a best of the best playlist. It's insane how much great and classic music is on this playlist today. Yeah, and I, I think it's so relevant to some of the conversations we've been having recently. I loved our episode last week, and there is you know quite a lot of overlap. Honestly, some That's of the true. composers we were talking about, and we were talking a little bit about the GameCube. But there's something about that console where I remember at the time, you know, I'm a little bit younger than Carl, so I see the GameCube as like, that's almost the most nostalgic console for me, because that's like my childhood, that was the new thing. It's very nostalgic for me, even though it was uh, more of my teen years. But I remember it getting so much flack from like the hardcore gamers that it was this kitty machine and, you know, Nintendo was so lame. Not as many third party titles. I feel like, I, I don't know if that many people go back and actually like play the original Xbox or play the PS2, maybe they play ports of those games released on later consoles, but there's something about the actual GameCube itself, the design of it. It's so cute. It was so portable in that controller. It has really gone down in history. It's like, it's really like a cult favorite fan favorite it's, controller. It's almost unbeatable when it comes to nostalgia nowadays. I mean, there's so many people that have such a reverence for GameCube, even more than when it was currently in the generation. So yeah, GameCube music is so nostalgic for us. A lot of this playlist, guys, it shouldn't be surprising that we've played before. And so I'm also looking forward to this episode being a little bit more casual and kind of reminiscing, going down memory lane of some of our GameCube memories, because this was a very formative console for us in a lot of ways. Right. Uh, so this is going to be a really fun episode. I, I am also excited for a few surprising choices that we're including today that we haven't played and that you might not be expecting if you're thinking about the best GameCube music. This is just a taste of the GameCube. So yes, there's plenty of titles that we don't have time for today. It And I think like a lot of consoles that looking at the GameCube in retrospect uh, you can have a more positive, holistically positive view of it, where at the mm. time, you know, I think like a lot of Nintendo consoles, you feel like, God, where's the third party support? Yeah, I mean, Mario Sunshine was great, but there hasn't been a good first party title in a while. Yeah, That sort of feeling of like, you don't know what's going to come next, and you're sort of second guessing your investment. But you know, now that we look back, especially with regards to video game music, I'm just so amazed by the high quality of first party Nintendo titles when mm-hmm. it comes to really innovative and interesting music. You know, I was really, um, some of these soundtracks I was re-listening through to prepare for this episode, and particularly any of the soundtracks that Kozumi Tataka was involved in, I just yeah. find to be so interestingly charming and experimental. So charming. Yeah, they, they really sum up the GameCube almost more than anything else. Uh, it shouldn't be surprising that the majority of the playlist is first-party games, but we have a handful of third-party ones as well. Let's just dive into this great music. What you guys heard playing in was, of course, from Paper Mario, The Thousand Year Door. That was a really beautiful piece called We're Counting on You, Mario. 
uh, composed by Hirano as well as Sujioko. Very cool. Um, okay, let's keep the vibes going here. Now, this is not a chronological playlist, but it did make sense to start out with the first GameCube game. This is one of the launch games, Luigi's Mansion, composed primarily by Kazumi Tataka. Let's take a listen to the really fun and funky Professor E. Gad's Lab. <laughs> You guys are listening to Professor Egad's Lab. It's from Luigi's Mansion, and this piece was composed by Kazumi Tataka. One of the first uh, soundtracks that people who went out and bought the GameCube would have heard. Um, I remember back when this was announced that, oh, there's not going to be a Mario game as a launch game? Oh, it's going to be Luigi? I was a little bit upset about that at the time, I remember. Um, and also, I think this type of game was not necessarily what I was looking forward to. It was a different genre, maybe. Um, I was just such a big fan of, you know, mainline Mario games. And so, yeah, some people were disappointed, but the people that did buy this game and play this game had such a good time. It's a delightful game, and it has such a unique personality. And a big part of that is Tataka's music. Completely. I agree with you, Carl. And, you know, I mean, I think as your younger brother, I sort of mirrored all of your same experiences with these. I mean, when it comes to GameCube, we experienced all of this in real time together. Yeah, it's true. Uh, it, which is different. That Honestly, it's like when we talk about the Genesis, I know it's like you experienced that in real time with Marty and that right. I sort of got it secondhand. But the mm -hmm. GameCube, I definitely feel like some of my strongest and most nostalgic memories with you are and also, playing I mean, we GameCube got it games. fairly early on. I think we got it in maybe 2002 so just about a year after it I remember launched. it was a Wednesday because I remember mm -hmm. walking home from the bus and every day just hoping that the GameCube was here. So I think I'm we've talked sure, about this before. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I was a freshman in high school, I want to say, when we got it. But I want to talk a little bit about Tataka's music for Luigi's Mansion, and it reflects sort of his very unique quirky musical approach to games like Animal Crossing, Yoshi's Story, uh, many others, where in even Mario Paint, I think, it was the first game that he was ever involved in that has mm -hmm. the, the, that kind of cohesive style where the music is almost the sacrificial lamb, that the, the, really the goal of it is to create a quirky unexpected but playfully fun comic atmosphere oh the sense and of the humor music, is just amazing and what's interesting is like he he always without fail writes these exceptional melodies that are just really solid and a lot of these scores also with tend a quirky to be presentation motivic. yeah and that that's the interesting thing it's like the melodies as we'll hear this next one in animal crossing which actually uh isn't a tataka composition mm -hmm. but um like the melodies are so incredibly strong and they're sprinkled throughout the experience like a motif, but there is never really a definitive version and there's always some quirk. For instance, the main way that you hear this melody in the game is actually just by Luigi, you know, Charles Martinet singing it. 
<laughs> and that's like a classic Tataka style. And to me, what's interesting is I, when I when I was listening to this today, I was trying to think of someone who didn't grow up with video games, someone who you know was predisposed to dislike video game music. The presentation of this aesthetically is the kind of thing that I think they would disparage, and the yeah. kind of thing that I think they assume all video game is. It's quirky. It's stupid. It's but kind of plucky it's self aware. It's winking at itself, and I think it's winking at the medium here i mean i just completely i love the balance and the combination of uh some of the genre tropes that tataka is evoking not only well, in this and track, that's but a, in the whole score it's, it's something that we're going to talk about a lot today which is that it's um it's substance over style is the mm-hmm. i think the great victory of the music of the gamecube with some exceptions not, right well <laughs> we have some yeah, exceptions obviously. of that today yeah yeah i mean there's certain composers that were able to uh, either games that feature actual orchestras or games that use really clever um, tools. But, you know, for the most part, the music of the GameCube succeeds or fails based on the merit of the musical compositions themselves. I would the agree. The melodies, the harmonies, the basic kind of general MIDI-ish arrangements are not the thing that anybody loves or appreciates i don't think there's necessarily a fondness for the sound set of the gamecube maybe i might have some nostalgia for it but you know even like i said the gamecube is so nostalgic for me i think all of these pieces would be improved if they were made today from scratch Oh, i agree and and i'm excited for those exceptions today uh those rare cases where we do get some real performance let's now move on to another fairly early uh, GameCube game. I think over here, this was 2002 is when this one came out. Uh, this is Animal Crossing. Will alluded to it. Um, there's a few different composers that worked on it. It was led by Totaka, but this is a piece of music that's credited to Kenta Nagata, who also worked on it. This is a really relaxing track. It's a great way to to kind of we're not starting off the episode, but we're still in the very beginning stages. And if you, and if any of you are listening to this a little tired waking up, this is a perfect track. This is 7 a.m. You guys are listening to 7am from Animal Crossing and it's just so charming. It's maybe the strongest example of what we were talking about. I know we've mentioned this even in like panels before. The juxtaposition, when you think about the presentation of this, it's so plucky and kind of dinky. Some of that's intentional. Some of that's just the technology of the time. You got to remember, this originally started as, as a 64 developed game but yeah the melody and the heart of this music is so strong and so sweet that's what makes it work will was talking about when we were playing this if you didn't have that strong melody i mean everything about this would be dinky and it wouldn't really hold up but the melody is just so delightful well and it's the kind
kind of melody and this i think goes back to tataka's genius um about the the versatility of a strong melody i wonder if this is something that is just kind of in the water at nintendo because it's something that koji kondo and many composers have learned where it's like you know if you really have a strong and potent principal theme it can be dressed in any number of colors and styles yeah. but you need that really strong durable iconic set of notes and that's what we get in abundance in animal crossing and what's interesting is unlike something like mario 64 or mario sunshine where you get all these fun and colorful variations but yet you have this definitive kind of like hit single version that you could play and i mean this to. this is just a perfect track to play on this episode and it's a perfect gamecube track to show someone why this system was so special why it was such a unique point in in vgm history because we've said this before but nintendo was definitely not with the times when it comes to technology i mean the sound of a lot of these gamecube scores if you compared them to the sound of ps2 or xbox scores very lacking almost feeling like they're a generation behind right but part of this musically what's, do... what's happening Happening, the heart of this music, you just you can't hold it down. Well, part of that has to do with the media file format. I mean, using the mini disc, um, certain things, you know, video cutscenes had to be compressed in a way that they weren't, um, and music, you know, it, it just made it more challenging. Basically, even like when orchestral music was in um, GameCube games, like I, I a example that I always think of is you know the opening to smash brothers melee right that great orchestral rousing piece of music but it's so heavily compressed mm -hmm. um th there were these limitations and i think but there's again it's just like with music on the nes it just it's this is a different generation of that where it's like they're they're working despite these limitations and they're rising to the challenge and it, it, part of the thing that puts it in that lineage of nintendo is the need to use your imagination yeah um, and i think that's something that even still to this day you know i mean now we're in the era where the playstation 5 was just released which is really exciting and that xbox series x or series s are uh right x on the and cusp s, yeah um and but what's interesting is, you know, the Nintendo Switch has been the most popular selling game console for the last two years. And I really mm -hmm. don't see it showing any signs of stopping. And I do think Nintendo knows what they're doing, that it isn't at the end of the day, it isn't about numbers. It's it not about, about power. specs. Yeah. yeah, it's about imagination, creativity and fun. That's definitely true. Well, so far, I mean, it seems like we've had just some some absolute classic heavy hitting games that you'd expect to see this one. I don't know if maybe that's the case. We guys, we are going to get to some surprising choices. Don't worry. This one's maybe a little more surprising. It's a wonderful score by some composers that did some really big popular work on the system. This is Kirby's Air Ride, and the composers here are Shogo Sakai, Jun Ishikawa, and Hirokazu Ando. Let's take a listen to. Now, this is a great example. Uh, not only was it very rare and not the norm to have an orchestrated gamecube score even within this one game it's not the norm this is i think the only orchestrated track maybe one of the only most of it is sequenced music and so for whatever reason they they, they did this one they had the budget for this one and it's so good checker knights from kirby's air ride
adorable piece of music. This is Checker Knights from Kirby's Air Ride. And any, uh, you know, extreme Kirby fan or, you know, slash nerd who knows a little bit more about how this game was made, I really am curious about why this piece was arranged and recorded this way. I have a feeling it was maybe part of some other concert or compilation and they just happened to include it in the game because literally what I was listening to, the rest of the soundtrack is kind of the, the sequenced orchestral stuff. There might be maybe one other real one, but yeah, I'm just curious the origins of it and also curious to know which one of these talented composers actually composed this. But yeah, this is such a fun piece. It has that same kind of Russian folk quality that the earlier Kirby series music had. It just fits right at home. You know, in so much of this also is very reminiscent of Grant Kirkhope's score to Mario and Rabbids Kingdom Battle, which yeah. goes for a very similar kind of European folk, fun, big orchestra. Kind it is of kind of Germanic. Similar you know yeah like a 19th century type of thing which is a lot of it's in the dna of kirby music for sure just really fun unabashed high energy but what dazzling orchestration and what's so fun to me is the moments of uh nintendo games on the gamecube that um get that full orchestral sound you can kind of hear to me early templates for what would become the kind of orchestral language of yeah, something I love like Super that. Mario Galaxy. It's really fun and exciting from an historical perspective to, to hear that. Yeah, this is a, a real standout track in the score. And again, anyone who knows uh, where this came from, why this particular piece uh, was arranged and recorded, I'd like to know that. But it's a great score. It's kind of a maybe underrated score in the Kirby series. All right, let's move on. Um, now, I don't know if I would call this, uh, it might be technically a third party, at least a third party developed game. But in any case, this is Final Fantasy Crystal Chronicles. And this particular game was scored by Kumi Tanioka. Uh, it's a really delightful and sweet and kind of simple score. Really pleasing stuff. Let's take a listen to a track called A Gentle Wind Blows. listening to a gentle wind blows a very i think ahead of its time piece of music this is from final fantasy crystal chronicles especially for a nintendo console right so definitely developed here um by square i believe uh square enix uh published though by nintendo 
Um, this is composed by Kumi Tanayoka, and Will was saying this kind of reminds him of Breath of the Wild music. It reminds me of much later Nintendo music, and so the fact that this came out in 2003, uh, I think Tanayoka did a really good job. And yeah, I think this is this is a score that is quite special for the system. Yeah, what a beautiful piece of music. Uh, I love the the kind of arrangement here that it's sort of it's orchestral but small ensemble it's innocent and accessible in the Very use folky, of the recorder and folk in- instruments yeah it, it sounds like kind of a an approach that nintendo would take now i mean mm-hmm. it, it reminds me of things like nintendo land you know with the use of the recorder or like i said before like breath of the wild a little bit some of those yeah. folk string instruments um yeah this is a really pretty composition and it is nice to remember you know with that kirby track and this and some others that we have today that you know the gamecube in as far as nintendo consoles were concerned was a huge step forward in sonic possibility the fact yeah, and, that and every you could once have in a while like they did take advantage of it but it was kind of rare wasn't it well let's now move on to a much more typical sound for the gamecube this is more representative of how a lot of scores sounded back then but it's a great one. This is The Legend of Zelda The Wind Waker by a team of incredibly talented composers. This is one of the handful of pieces that Koji Kondo actually composed. Yeah, the game was music directed by Kenta Nagata, who, mm-hmm. you know, we played his Animal Crossing track. And in the same way that Nagata's composition, I think, is very heavily influenced by Kazumi Tataka's influence on the soundtrack, I think all of the composers that worked on The Wind Waker were really under the very strong direction of Kenta Nagata because it's yeah. such a cohesive soundtrack. Absolutely. And we wanted to play one of these Koji tracks. It's a piece that we haven't played maybe as many times as some of the Kenta ones. It's just beautiful and so sweet. This is Grandma. You guys listening to the gorgeous Grandma from Wind Waker. This is composed, actually, by Koji Kondo. It's definitely a tearjerker. It's such a sweet and emotional piece of music. And another strong example of 
going beyond the limitations, transcending those limitations. Again, we could talk about how primitive this sounds. We have these kind of like a newer generation of general MIDI sounds, basically, kind of early 2000s sequenced instruments here. Um, but the melodies and the chords, the music that these little instruments are playing is just so strong, and it's why this music holds up. Also, I do feel it fits with the art style. Oh, it There's totally does. There's something about these tones that it fits with that sort of cell-shaded There's a child, uh, kind of a child-friendly quality to these Yeah, sounds. because the other thing is like... You know, these it's not like the Super Nintendo where it's like things vaguely describe what they're supposed to be, but these are clearly, yeah. you know, it's strings and clarinet, and you know, you can hear the instrument timbres for what they're supposed to be. Yet, right. as beautiful as this would be with an actual like chamber string section and an actual clarinet solo, there are these variations and gradations in color which, in some ways, don't necessarily fit that cartoonish, cell shaded look where you don't necessarily necessarily have texture you have very simple colors and so the clarinet which is already a simple timbre but with a <laughs> with like almost no real expressiveness there's something so charming about it but it really yeah. does fit the images you know um, I totally obviously agree. i'd love to hear this whole score fully orchestrated uh but uh, the music really does hang together and one of the geniuses of Koji Kondo in sort of this this phase of his career where he kind of took more of a backseat role and an administrative role overseeing things is where he chooses to do his compositions. Because like it's sort of a tradition. He'll write one or two themes in a right. Zelda game or a Mario game. Um, and it's kind of, you know, for a while I was thinking, oh, he's going to write the main theme or he's going to do this. And what I love is Koji instead, I don't know if it was his idea or Nagata's idea, but he opts for maybe the most emotionally <laughs> kind of important moment in, if you think of it like a movie in the first reel of Wind Waker, that yeah, it's like the sure. moment when Link decides to leave and his grandma sort of has this tender moment giving him the shield and wishing him well on his journey. It's like there's something the so spiritually so perfect. perfect about that being the Koji track. It's not necessarily the title screen, but it's like the the um, the inciting incident. This is like the moment that we set off into the story. And to say one thing before we go on a tangent, imagine if those moments uh, were scored by Koji in Breath of the Wild. Just imagine what that would have done emotionally. That would have been well, very right. special. Instead, there uh, those moments sadly are scored with usually like no music mm -hmm. or just kind of like not music yeah. that seems to have been given the main focus. Well, let's move back um, to really talented composers that we just listened to. It's Hirokazu Ando and Shogo Sakai again with maybe the most popular GameCube game ever released, Super Smash Brothers Melee. It's definitely up there, right? <laughs> um, we're going to play it's a piece definitely of have music. the most longevity. It's a game that people still play in still tournaments. Smash Brothers fans like this is still their favorite. We wanted to play some version of this wonderful melody. You can also hear it in the menu theme, but this is a fun, very Smash Brothers style presentation of this. It's classic. This is Battlefield from Melee.
gnarly, fusion-y presentation of this wonderful, classic Nintendo melody. This is Battlefield from Super Smash Bros. Melee, composed by either Hirokazu Ando or Shogo Sakai. I have a vague memory of, of hearing that Sakai composed this exact melody, but who knows who arranged this. One thing that I love uh, as a Kirby fan is that music of the Smash Brothers series basically feels like Kirby music more than anything. Um, it's because Especially it's these, in the first two iterations. Yeah, it's these same composers, um, a lot of same instrumental choices, uh, just this kind of quirky, jazzy, catchy fusion. It's just so good. Yeah, it's it's interesting. It's like Kirby, but more intense. It's Kirby in a fighting game, yep. um, because there there's the kind of frenetic energy, there's the pluckiness, yet there is sort of a heavy epic quality to it that's not yeah. necessarily there in the tongue in cheek Kirby style. But I totally agree. Yeah, and what's interesting, we've talked about this before, but the original Super Smash Brothers seems to be like equal parts Kirby and Star Fox. It's like put those two <laughs> in the blender. You know, even right. I think bop bop bop. And, and hey, very much you know, like this, an alternate universe. Star this reminds me of what we were talking about with Kirby's Air Ride. Uh, Smash Brothers Melee, if some as some of you might remember, does feature a handful of orchestrated, performed, you know, live recordings. It wasn't the norm, most of the music sequenced, but there's a a couple tracks here and there where they got they got that. Um, and it is interesting to hear <laughs> to hear that. So yeah, they were toying with that idea. Yeah, how time. great is this melody though? It's one of the best. It's as strong as something from a Zelda or Mario game or Sonic game. Like it's it's yeah. one of those classic video game melodies. It's and I'm just, glad we got to play a version of it yeah. that doesn't get as much love on this. Podcast. It's one of those things that feels like inevitable. Uh, like the first time you hear it, it's as though you've always heard it. Yet it really is one of those detailed melodies that was written with craft and love and purpose. There was a time many years ago, many, many years ago, where I couldn't remember what that was from. I had it in my head one day and I was like, what is that from? I mean, I was like, I think it's from a game, but I was just assuming it would be something like Zelda, but nope. Okay, let's move on to maybe a slightly surprising choice, actually, today. This is a game called Baton Kaitos. Hopefully I'm saying that right. We've played music from this before. It's by the wonderful Motoi Sakuraba, and this is a rocking, progressive track that sounds exactly as you'd expect a Sakuraba track to sound like. Him doing his thing, right? Let's take a listen to The True Mirror.
You guys listening to The Rocking, The True Mirror from Basin Kaitos, which is how I'm at least saying that. This is a GameCube game by Matoi Sakuraba. It's kind of stereotypical Sakuraba in a way, but that's okay. Um, yeah, so one thing that we should mention is all of the games that we're focusing on today are exclusive to the GameCube, at least initially. Maybe years later there were remastered versions for a couple of these. But yes, when, when these games came out, they were exclusive to the GameCube. So we're not playing, you know, a game that was released on all three at the time. Uh, so yeah, this was just released for the system, and we didn't say it before we played it. But yeah, you guys are hearing it features some real performance. So again, it's always nice to, to have that on the GameCube. It was quite rare. This is a nice mix of some real elements and some sequenced elements. Uh, it sounds really good. I think the composition at times is a little bit cliche. I think the score can feel a little samey. Um, and this does happen occasionally with Sakuraba, where it kind of feels like he's just doing a paint-by-numbers approach. But yeah, in any case, it's really exciting, really effective VGM. Well, and it takes a, a special kind of composer for their paint-by-numbers approach to sound this high energy and interesting. Particularly this is a lot more interesting than some of those examples that I, I was maybe thinking of. There are there are plenty right. of examples where it's maybe a little more soulless than this. But I, I, I completely know what you mean. I think what's surprising to me about this track is I... I, I, to me, this would be—I wouldn't be surprised if this were written today or like ten yeah. years ago. It sounds it's great. It's interesting that this was done back in the GameCube era because it does feel a little like, like he's run out of steam or he's run out of inspiration or influence. That is kind of like recycling types of ideas, which is mm-hmm. in, I, I can understand. We've talked about the phenomenon when like classic game composers do that now because they've kind of like written so much music and so many melodies that it's hard to find something fresh in right. this kind of style. Um, but it's interesting. I mean, this kind of production approach was relatively new at the time for, I mean, it wasn't possible to have this type of recorded ensemble in games for many years before this. So right. uh, it, it, this is in many ways kind of the the start of that sort of chapter of like rock with you know heavy fiddle um and then that kind of like really very specific drum sound that has kind of a 90s punk (laughs) rock kind of energy to it well we're gonna now move on to another choice that i think will surprise a lot of you it was it was a pretty successful and popular game but it's not one a lot of people might think of when it comes to gamecube music um but this particular piece is classic to us this is the main title from rogue squadron 2 rogue leader actually it's a it's a score that's mostly using john williams ideas uh, but this main title is a really good original piece by chris hulsbeck who was in charge of the music for this game so let's take a listen to this really exciting star warsy track this is main title from rogue leader
You guys are listening to the main title from Rogue Leader. This is so classic. One of the strongest GameCube games and one that holds up so much today. This is by Chris Hulsbeck. Uh, there is some John material in here as well. But yeah, what a strong theme Will was mentioning while we listened to it. Uh, he just would love if someone were to actually orchestrate this and, and record this with a real ensemble because it's such a strong theme. And he did a really good job of capturing the spirit of John's Star Wars music, but also really bringing his own style in, into it too. There's something about this melody that it, it's not something that John would have composed, to be honest. I mean, it's just, it is right. unique as well. Yeah. I mean, I think he's clearly influenced by that, that kind of modal language, some of the intervals, the orchestration, but yeah, it's like the video game version of it too. And it's like so hypercharged yeah. and accessible. The other thing is like, this was in the the day when the Star Wars prequels were brand new. I, right. This game may have come out right at the same time of like Attack of the Clones. So it was John's around that prequel same time, scores yeah. are so filled with melody and richness and dazzling big orchestration. Best thing about those movies for sure. <laughs> Yeah, and you can definitely hear some of that influence in Chris Hulsbeck's music, but God, I love the, this melody. Yeah, da-da-da, da-da-da. Like that particular, the, the fascination with these little detailed notes, that sounds like something that John would do. And then that, yeah, bum, 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 da Well, Will, I, I don't know if you would agree, but it, it reminds me of John music in general, not just Star Wars. I mean, it reminds me of a lot of his other series music too. Sure, yeah. I think some of the the what makes it Star Wars are some of those like third relation-y, you know, chromatic yeah. median things. Right. Um, where it, it very dazzling and spacey, but I, I think it's really impressive too for these more general MIDI sounds. The orchestration is very clear and it's something that I think you know, would if you took the MIDI stems from this, let's say, like I think you <laughs> could orchestrate it with very little trouble. All the instruments yeah. are kind of doing what they should be doing, um, which you know we interviewed Chris years and years ago, uh, and now I'm like I'm failing to remember. I'd love to revisit that conversation, mm-hmm. um, but I just wonder how much orchestral experience he had, kind of in the real world landscape if he had written for orchestra before mm-hmm. doing this score but i know he had access to the the actual written scores for the star wars films and you know when i think of the rogue squadron games they're a great excuse to sort of reassemble a lot of like in the can star wars action music uh well guys let's move on to maybe the most obvious choice to include today this is super mario sunshine and if there was a theme of the gamecube this would be a top contender. <laughs> it just brings me back to that system, to that era, that time in our lives. So fun, so heartwarming. This is Delfino Plaza from Sunshine, composed by Koji Kondo.
guys are listening to Delfino Plaza from Sunshine, and we should mention that we're doing something a little different today with Track of the Week. And so if we were doing a traditional approach, I mean, this would probably be it, right? Uh, this is composed by Koji Kondo. It's fun. Me and Joe have kind of finished playing through all of the games on the, that recent All-Stars compilation. We started with 64. We beat that. All 120, then moved on to Sunshine, then moved on to Galaxy. Did and you now do, we're actually, it's like impossible to get all the shines in Sunshine. Um, we didn't do it for Sunshine, but we did all of it for Galaxy. And now we're yeah. actually playing Galaxy 2 on the original Wii um, because there is no remastered version of that and, and having a wonderful time with that game too. Those but games are so delightful. Sunshine is, when it came out, was criminally underrated, I think. I mean, yes, there were some issues with it and there was some frustration with the game. Trust me, I, I get that, but... I, looking back at, at it now, the way that some people really railed against it was very short-sighted, I think. I mean, it's an outstanding game that took some risks, but it holds up so well and now has so much love. I mean, even when we're playing Galaxy 2, and I forgot this, on one of the beach galaxies, uh, you know, these, these wonderful Delfino citizens come back. Yeah, and the, what are they called? The Pintas or yeah, something. Yeah, it's so nostalgic. Even when that game came out, there was this kind of felt like, you know, resurging nostalgia for this game. But yeah, just an absolutely iconic theme. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think Super Mario Sunshine might be, for me personally, the most nostalgic video game ever because I, I know was what you mean. obsessed with Mario as a kid. It's like... This is the first one we got. We got... So, yeah, we, we can t- spend a little bit of time going down memory lane. We got the, I ordered the pack in, so I, I got, I think it was on Amazon in 2002, I ordered the GameCube with uh, Mario Sunshine, like the bundle. And, um, yeah, it was so exciting to to own your own console and to play a brand new Mario game. We absolutely loved this game. I mean, yes, it was frustrating. There are times when I was annoyed by the camera. But overall, I mean, we had an absolute ball with this game. Well, and for me, it's like I, I, I remember the first day that I was that I ever played a Mario game. I was on an emulator on the computer. And it was one of those things where, like, you and Marty together in one day showed me, like, four different Mario games. And I remember right. just being so excited, just the color of his <laughs> hat, crazy the music, the you. jumping. I was like, I was just instantly in love. And I became in love with video game music from Mario. I became in yeah. love with music, honestly, from Mario and just video games in Thanks, general. Thanks, Mr. Like Kondo. The first thing that I ever fell in love with. And so I couldn't wait for Sunshine. Like yeah. I was the most excited person in the world probably for this game. Because most people I think were probably like, ah, sun- water. I have another memory, and this is, you don't know this, this is earlier, this was maybe about a month before we got that GameCube. I was actually at uh, the mall with my friend at the time, Noah, and we were, I think we were at like a Sam Goody, which used to be this chain of entertainment kind of stores that I don't think they exist anymore. But anyway, we were at this Sam Goody store, and there was a display, there was a GameCube display there, and it had sunshine, and that was the first time that I, in like real life, got to see it. And I remember I was so eager to play it, but Noah got to it first, and so he was playing it, and I was so impatient, trying to not be, you know, a little... (laughs) jerk by just like come on let me play let me play but i was just so impatient to play and finally when he was done i got to play uh, just for a few minutes because i think after that he was like oh come on let's go and i was like oh i just i want to play this a little bit um and so i was so eager for this to to finally come but yeah what what an outstanding score and and yeah that if there is a theme of the gamecube that's probably it well well i just want to say carl i'm so grateful that both you and marty 
just the the love that you had for games like this because i think for a teenager you know starting in high school it was probably more common for people to be into games like hitman and resident evil i mean i was into those too don't get me wrong you know medal of honor and i know you were but it's like I I so appreciate it because I had a lot of friends who like made fun of me for liking Mario even right. in grade school and yeah I, that I never remember really just entered like, in my head I mean I just I just thought they were so so fun and so I mean I just couldn't resist playing these games yeah I mean it just I I'll never forget playing it for the first time I'll never forget hearing the music Seeing the M, and just remember the M and then and, it, and then it yeah, and, it and then you see so kind of the sky realistic. behind it yeah and yeah. the rumble on the controller it just it seemed like the most immersive cuz I remember the first time seeing Mario 64 when Marty's friend John brought it over he brought his n64 over i remember that feeling like that was a similar thing for me just like absolutely blowing my mind but yeah this is one of the most exciting memories we have uh, of video games okay let's move on to actually another score that koji worked on we talked about this on last week actually the episode this is a score we featured this is a collaboration between koji and asuka oda yes it is the legend of zelda four swords adventures um, it's a nice little score, and it's mostly using pre-existing Zelda themes, but there's a couple of fun originals. This is one such track. I don't know who composed this between the two, but in any case, it's called The Hill Where the Castle Was. Here we go. guys listening to the hill where the castle was from four swords adventures this one is most likely composed by i forgot again uh to say uh, her maiden name most likely asuka hayazaki here um i don't know if there's specific crediting for the entire score um but yeah this kind of sounds like more like her style but it's a really fun track i love the sound set that they went for kind of this ocarina of time style when it comes to the instruments i think it was really nostalgic again for the previous generation and yeah this is um this is a fun score yeah i have no doubt in my mind that this is asuka i think because of how closely it's treading previous condo material where one thing that i feel like you learn about nintendo composers is they're not always great at imitating themselves or they just don't want to do it. You know, they would rather do something new where sometimes when you hear a track that's like, Oh, this sounds so much like X or so much like it's like, Oh, well that's actually by a different composer because they're more have that as something to emulate where to me, the, the tracks from this game that I'm convinced are Kondo 
are ones that I just feel like the quality of the melody, the types of harmonies that are used make me think of Kondo, but it's, it's not like analogous to one specific composition where most of this score is that way, where it's kind of like this is an alternate version of the Yeah, I mean, Hyrule I would say that theme when something. you listen to the score, it's very clear this is a B Zelda game. This is more of like something closer to a spinoff. It, it doesn't have the same... Uh, maybe level of intention to it, or maybe just seriousness to it, and it makes sense. I mean, it kind of in is some ways that. it's kind of like the tone of the Game Boy or Game Boy Color Zeldas, which I yeah. think have great music. I mean, we've obviously praised uh, Link's Awakening to to no end, but there is yeah. a, energy wise, it's a little bit more light. It kind of feels like Zelda's younger brother. It's like Zelda Junior or something. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, okay, let's move on to another very strong example of real performance and arranging yes, on yes, the yes. system. This is so rare. Um, this is Star Fox Assault. It's an outstanding game score. I could not wait for. I couldn't have been oh, more man. excited about Star Fox Assault. I mean, it's, we played it's this the, game a lot. We played it so much. It's the rogue leader of the Star Fox series, right? Um, it's a really, really good game, and it's a wonderful, fully orchestrated score that features a lot of the best themes that have come from the series previously, as well as some wonderful new themes. This is actually a callback to a 64 theme. Yeah, I think my favorite thing about Assault is the way that it creates a unified aesthetic with the pretty much most really wonderful using only the material from Star Fox 64. There are a handful of new compositions, but they all fit effortlessly into that world and the arrangement is just flawless. And I think Kondo's themes we've lauded so much in 64 uh because they're I mean exceptional, but Wakai's music is something that I think I've always there's bits of it that I feel like are classic, like Corneria, yump bum 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 And this, but most of the orchestral stuff, it it kind of feels maybe a little underwhelming at times. And part of that was the '64 sounds, but part of it was the arrangement. And I think the most impressive thing about the score is that these composers really pulled the beauty. Yeah. from those Hajime Wakai themes and took some really bold stylistic choices in the orchestration that are so freaking cool. Like this yeah. soundtrack is flawless. I think it's like one of the best. I mean, it's hard because it's, since it uses so much old material, it's hard to compare it with something. But I think if this were, if you just take it for what it is, I think this is maybe the best GameCube soundtrack because it's so impeccably orchestrated and it's just very ahead of its time after great theme after great theme. Well, let's take a listen to Theme of Star Wolf, uh, arranged and in some cases composed by Yoshi Arakawa, as well as Yoshinori Kawamoto.
You guys are listening to the theme of Star Wolf. It's from Star Fox Assault, arranged, composed by Arakawa and Kawamoto, and they did such a tasteful job. This really, to me, feels and sounds like 90s anime music. Right. Um, it has a very retro sound to it. I mean, orchestral music doesn't sound like this anymore in so many different ways. I mean, the sound of the, the room and the performance and uh, some of the choices. I mean, even just that marching snare drum. A lot of these choices are things we heard a lot back in the day um, for anime and maybe even early video games. And yeah, it's just so colorful, so delightful. They did such a great job of capturing all, all every ounce of the beauty of this original Star Wolf theme and just, well, and oh my the, God, pouring I it I wanted all to out. play this one because I think it's maybe the most extreme example. This is a theme that was good on the 64, where there are some of Hajime Wakai's themes that I actually don't like on the 64 that become good. But the transformation here isn't just of an orchestrational level it's of a musical level they slow the tempo down and i don't know whose inspired idea it was to turn it in to give it this like hispanic quality it sounds it's so perfect though like music of from venezuela or something like classical music can you imagine that some of those jazzy smile on wakai's face when he heard this like i can't imagine imagine that it's so incredibly strong, and the, the original theme was a lot faster. It was a lot more just, just kind a, of in that orchestral theme, yeah. film music language, and this is so sexy, that trumpet. And what, the other fun thing, what I personally love about Star Fox Assault is how, I mean, it's campy, but how seriously they take the story elements, mm-hmm. more so than if Nintendo, I think, were making it, uh, that yeah. they really have a lot of these kind of, again, very anime, soap opera, melodramatic, like, character relationship stuff. Um, yeah. But because of that, I think they really lean into character. And one of the members of the Star Wolf team, Panther, is always kind of like hitting on the the female pilot in your right. crew. And so I think that some of it uh, is of this theme is meant to kind of score that dialogue. Because while you're fighting, so. you know, in the dog fight, all the characters are sort of talking and taunting each other and stuff. But I just love how sexy this theme is. It's such an interesting choice. It's not obvious but it like takes a good thing and makes it like the most amazing thing ever it's such a killer melody but it's like what a, it was what a great score it's a gem sort of unpretentious track well this is another very popular game um and fans of the series will be happy that we have something from the pokemon series today this is from pokemon coliseum uh, it's a good score, and our friend Jackson, uh, I'm thankful for him for kind of reminding me of some of the really good music of in this game because I remember listening to it years ago, but I kind of forgot. This is a really beautiful track. Uh, it's called Relic Forest, and it's composed by Tsukasa Tawada from Pokemon Coliseum. <laughs> Thank you. 
You guys are listening to Relic Forest. It's a beautiful piece from Pokemon Coliseum. And uh, yeah, one thing that I really like about this um, is that it reminds me of other series music that I really, really love. Um, Pokemon music, is it's not something that's that close to my heart. I never really played these games, and I don't have this nostalgia to that series music. But this piece of music captures something in my heart that that is kind of more emotional for me. It reminds me of really the Zelda series, I guess I would say, if I was going to point to anything. It's a beautiful piece of music, kind of a surprising change. How it gets back to the beginning of the form is, is actually quite unique. I'm a fan of this. Yeah, it's a lot like it's a lot like Sheik's theme from uh, yeah. Ocarina. That's uh, true. Especially that opening and with the harp and some of these plaintive chords. Uh, but yeah, it's very really pastoral pretty. in the B It's section. a little melodramatic, I think, in the 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 later section. I really like the sparseness of the beginning, though. Yeah, me too. Um, yeah, it opens up into this almost like kind of Aaron Copeland, <laughs> kind of Americana sound. It's 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 a nice it's a nice piece of music, and I'm glad that we were able to focus on something from the Pokemon series. Well, guys, we said earlier that we're approaching our track of the week kind of different today. We wanted to. <laughs> play something that we've never played on the podcast before that might be a really surprising choice and something I think will be new for Will. So that was the idea. So let's move on to this week's track of the week. It's from Mr. Driller Drill Land. <laughs> and this is composed by Go Sheena very talented unique composer let's take a listen to an outstanding piece of music it's called io here we go is killer you guys are listening to io it's from mr driller drill land by goshina i mean what other piece from the gamecube era <laughs> features this really awesome jazz fusion ensemble with a killer drum solo i love if you guys the very end of that drum solo i don't know if you heard but the drummer's kind of screaming there's a lot of great jazz drummers that do that when they just are really feeling it they just can't contain their energy and they just let out let out a little scream but and yeah, and then later on, there's some really fun effects that are done to the drums where it makes it sound like it's coming through like a phone speaker or something. What an exciting and unique piece of music. This is outstanding. 
Yeah, I also love how kind of garagey everything is. It seems like every production sound that we're hearing is something that could be on, you know, a pedal or connected uh-huh. to an amplifier. It doesn't seem like super produced in the box. It still has a rugged quality for all the a interesting like electric violin textures. And one of my favorite things is the type of delay that you get on that synth where it's mm-hmm. that sort of beat synced, you know, eighth note delay that's super yeah. wet. So it almost sounds like you're hearing super technological. Yeah, I love this ensemble, the electric violin, such a cool sound. I love the kind of really roomy, jazzy drum sound. The bass is super funky. I mean, this is just an outstanding kind of fusion funk tune. It was something that was a real breath of fresh air going through all this kind of sequenced early 2000s music getting to this. Uh, it just really made me smile. And so a nice choice for track of the week. <laughs> Certainly. Well, now we're going to change gears <laughs> completely to another one of our favorite yes. GameCube All-time soundtracks. This is Metroid Prime composed by the incomparable Kenji Yamamoto. And we played a track from Fusion last week composed by Minako Hamano. Yeah, and we're going to play maybe the most emotional point for us in this game I I think when this point hit at least for me I my jaw was dropped and I was even maybe even tearing up it's just such an emotional atmospheric and memorable moment in the game uh and yeah really a good showcase and it's also the moment that feels the most kind of David Wisey and Donkey Kong Country that's why (laughs) there is something about like why they got Kenji to work on Donkey Kong Country Returns. There's yeah. some quality in this atmosphere that actually is evocative of that music. Yeah, this is a great piece of music. It's Underwater Frigate Reactor Core from Metroid Prime. You guys are listening to the Underwater Frigate Reactor Core. This is composed by Kenji Yamamoto. It's from Metroid Prime, and uh, yeah, maybe the most emotional moment when it comes to a score on the GameCube that I can think of. And it's not communicated with any words, any story. It's just something that you have to experience, and moving through this game, getting to this point... If anyone hasn't played the game, there's just something that happens at this point of the game that just really wows you. Uh, And it's just such a beautiful artistic moment. And Kenji scored it 
perfectly. One thing that Will called out, which is such a cool choice here, is that you do have these more electronic elements in these pads that are adding to the ambiance and the texture here, but he also uses the piano itself uh, for some of those textures, for some of those kind of fading, delayed... And so it's really cool that he used the piano in kind of two uh, purposes here. It gives it a, a kind of Thomas Newman-y sound, where it's this like hybrid acoustic electronic score, and there's something modal about it. It reminds me of like Thomas Newman, like Road yeah. Well, to you were saying this that this is another case where, um, and, and I think this is very rare for GameCube score. This actually does hold up even today. This sounds really yeah. good. Um, yeah. I think in any fact, other music think... that is a little more spacey like this, I think holds up really well. Well, I think actually, in my opinion, all of it really holds up because even the stuff that uses like those choppy choral vocal samples for instance i actually wouldn't want that to be replaced with a real choir because there's something almost too cliche and on the nose about it uh mm. where and I, i'm not saying all of this was a conscious choice but yamamoto makes everything feel like a conscious choice because those choppy samples have it, it represents samus as a character because it's like she's this person but she's in this robotic armor so there's like a yeah. shred of humanity in the echo but yet it's still creepy and disturbed the the whole palette of this soundtrack i think is absolutely brilliant and that's like even if the compositions weren't that interesting there's enough detail in the texture alone i think to make it interesting yet there's so many incredible melodies and it's such a varied it's varied in terms of style from this kind of like orchestral almost biblical epic type music and harmony to mm -hmm. moments of like hip hop and electronic dance music like some of that stuff in Fendron it's quite diverse actually like you get stuff like that in this game yeah I think it's which... one of the best sounding GameCube scores if you're not counting any of the ones that got real performance or real orchestras I think when it comes to the sequenced music the other thing that we don't know man, it sounds good well in, in terms of like you know real quote unquote performance is i don't know how much of this music f utilizes potentially a real analog synths mm -hmm. i mean the the level of detail in the sound here I mean, I think it's it would have been possible to do this with VSTs back then, but th there's no composer at Nintendo, especially at the time, that seemed to have any knowledge or any extensive library of virtual instruments. Part of right. me feels like some of these sounds that Kenji got were the result of actual like old digital or analog synthesizer keyboards that he owned from like the 80s or 90s because yeah. they're so specific and there's such subtlety with how expressive they are. Well, it's really cool. You know, Will was alluding to some things uh, that Kenji Yamamoto has also done. And the next two tracks we're going to move to are perfectly fitting. They kind of transition nicely. We're going to move to a Donkey Kong game. This is a fairly surprising choice for <laughs> for this episode. It's kind of a an easy score to overlook. It's Donkey Kong Jungle Beat. And one of the exciting things about it is that it was composed by Mihito Yakoda, who would go on to work on Galaxy just a couple years after this. Let's take a listen to Battle for Storm Hill.
so classic, right, everybody? This is Battle for Storm Hill, and there's a really fun experience listening to the score of DK Jungle Beat, especially knowing what Yokota would move on to. And most of it is very silly and not taking itself seriously and something that would fit this Donkey Kong game. And then there's a couple moments, and this is the strongest one, where I imagine if you were listening to this, you'd be like, wait, who is this composer? There's something really special about about this sound here. And yeah, we've said it before, but I mean, this is a piece that really reminds us of the Mario Galaxy sound. And it's just a good example that Hiro Yokota had something very well, special. Well, you can tell... Him. Yakota has beautiful soaring melodies in his heart that are waiting to be set free. Yeah, um, it's true. And a real love of orchestral writing. Um, it's it's charming to me hearing these general midi-ish sounds because they're some of the same exact sounds that he used for some of the ancillary music in Galaxy. That's true. Uh, and just kind of hearing his harmonic language, his approach to orchestration, as well as those sounds, it feels like, you know, a hidden lost galaxy music or demos for galaxy yeah. games. You know, I think, I think of like that music when you get the red star, you know, and uh -huh. Mario's flying yeah. for a while. It sounds like that, like sort of like yeah. a B theme. Um, but, I, you know, his writing in fourths and fifths and stuff with the brass feels very classic to him but it's a really strong melody both the more rhythmic action-y part and the soaring you know legato string lines uh yeah this would be another fun one to hear orchestrated and to bring back uh because this is an interesting game i know it was eventually re-released for the wii with mm. uh more like you know Wiimote and nunchuck motion controls but this game had a very unique control system because it used the bongo drums from donkey conga uh, which we didn't as a way of today. controlling <laughs> yeah as a way of controlling the character so like yeah. you tap on the right bongo drum to make him go forward tap on the left to go left and hit them both to make him jump which right. is kind of a fun and simple control scheme that kind of like puts you in the mindset of this giant gorilla so it's kind of fun well, it's funny it's a control scheme that we get a lot more nowadays in mobile games don't we totally well, guys, let's move on to another perfect segue. Will mentioned Dave Wise uh, earlier, and now we're going to play a Dave Wise track. Now, this might be a game that a lot of people would leave out. Um, it's a game that was not super well received, kind of a swing and a miss maybe for the and series. For, for good reason. I think it's like yeah. when you think Star Fox, you think classic on-rail space shooter with Nintendo-y goodness. Yeah, so it was a, it was a very odd choice. Um, I don't know who was the first person to... <laughs> to think because about this it this is like a uh, third person it. adventure game well it's actually uh shigeru miyamoto because um rare the company yeah. that made this game was working on a game called dinosaur planet yeah and they and had this sort basically of basically it was with a Doki Doki panic idea right yeah and uh, <laughs> i don't know it probably not one of miyamoto's best or most inspired in any ideas. case though i mean dave did he a basically really good said, yeah, job put star fox characters in on this. the score and he talked in our first interview that this was actually one of the hardest times he had with technology he didn't find it very forgiving and so um it was kind of a challenging score for him in a lot of ways and i'm sure mixed emotions now thinking about how the game itself was received in any case it's a great piece here let's play dark ice mines night composed by david wise from star fox adventures
Dave's music is just so sweet and pure. I love it so much. This is Dark Ice Mines Night from Star Fox Adventures. Kind of a really underrated gem here. At least this piece of music. Yeah, it's just really beautiful. And I think he did a really good job of getting the best sounds he could at the time for the GameCube. Uh, he didn't have the luxury of having a real performed score. And I think this sounds, you know, definitely as good as some of the stuff that Nintendo was doing with sequenced music at the time. I think in a lot of ways better, more nuanced. Um, yes, this kind of sequenced music doesn't necessarily hold up nowadays, but when you think about it with the historical perspective, I mean, he did a really good job. This is classic Dave Wise here. This is a game that we didn't own, but I remember I had a friend in elementary school. I played school it for a little bit. Named Dominic, who owned this game. And I remember just like being so baffled because I loved Star yeah. Fox. Um, and just watching him play this, and this was before I was really into Zelda. But to me, it's like you could have told me I was watching someone well, play Will, The Wind Waker. If someone it was just this kind you, of RPG ish action. If your friend would have been like, you know, a little older and known more about like inside secrets of the games industry if someone would have told you the story of oh this actually originally wasn't even a star fox game and they just kind of slapped it on you'd have been like oh yeah that makes sense that's what yeah, this I looks mean, like he was six and i was seven so i don't really think took we a few more years to get the that aware but <laughs> get the inside yeah. deets but yeah that's kind of what it feels like when you play it and when you see it um but in any case a really good score underrated score there well guys we're going to move on this is the last of the day other than our play out it's kind of a bonus inclusion kind of a silly choice here because this would be something that when we do a Wii episode one day, this is probably going to be something we'll include on that. But it did also come out, it was one of the very last games, the last big game to come out also on the GameCube. It's The Legend of Zelda Twilight Princess. You know, any excuse to play a Twilight Princess track, we're not we're not going to pass that up, right? Let's play a piece of music today that Toru Minigishi composed. It's a really beautiful way to end this episode. It's Lake Hylia. You guys are listening to Lake Hylia from Twilight Princess, and it came out for the GameCube and the Wii. I think most people think of it as a Wii game, and uh, kind of a silly choice, but it was a bonus, really, to include it today, and 
I couldn't resist it. This is composed by Toru Minigishi. It's one of the prettiest, most serene moments and pieces from Twilight Princess. Um, sometimes goes overlooked, in my opinion. It's it's really one of my favorites from the whole score. It's absolutely gorgeous. Yeah, I, I think Twilight Princess is the best Zelda game. Um, I know when it came out, a lot of people were like, well, this is basically just like a bigger remake of Ocarina of Time. Yeah. But... I think it's better than Ocarina of Time. And I mean, I, I couldn't love Ocarina more, especially, I mean, all the great Koji Kondo music, but I think you know this is something... my favorite Zelda soundtrack. It's my favorite Zelda game. It's just so expansive. I mean, I, it's I so really heroic. understand that opinion, Will. I mean, I actually am glad we're, we're talking about this today because this has more in common with a GameCube score than a lot of Wii scores. When you think about the Wii, there's a lot of um, new things Nintendo were trying out, finally with something like Galaxy or something like Skyward Sword, getting more real performance, starting to slowly turn around that corner where when you judge Twilight Princess as a Wii score it's easier to be more critical, but when you judge it as a GameCube score, it's like, oh, we've really come a long way from the sounds of Wind Waker. We're we're definitely improving. Yeah, I think that's another thing people have to keep in mind because I know there was a lot of disappointment for why there wasn't maybe an orchestral palette for this game. But part of it, it's just like, you know, Nintendo clearly wanted to dip their toe in the water. And I think it's hard for something like Zelda what track are you going to have be fully orchestral? Like right. maybe they would have done something for like the, the it title honestly screen. honestly would have been a really bad idea. As, as selfish as I would love to hear a handful of these great melodies orchestral just to have them in my collection, as an experience, it wouldn't have been as cohesive and it would have felt more like Smash Brothers where it's like you have this like kind of silly sequenced stage and then all of a sudden you have this orchestrated live, you know, Kirby tune. It's like, wait, right. like, oh, that's well, weird. It, the the music is great and it does sonically fit the visuals, which this is a oh, much yeah, like more a tall order because it's a little bit... It, not that it's going for photorealism, but it has that sort of bloom light, heavy, right. slightly darker tone. And it, it's a higher, taller order for the music. Can't just be as charming and general midi as it was in Wind Waker. But yeah, I I love Twilight Princess. I think Toro Minigishi is a genius. I hope he can come back to the Zelda series because he worked on Phantom Hourglass and yeah. Spirit Tracks. It'd be cool to see if maybe he's one of the people involved in the sequel to Breath of the Wild. We'll have to just wait and see. Well, even honestly, even if he was just the like sound or music director, because I still don't get why Hajime Wakai was the music director. Yeah. Like, I don't think of Zelda with him. I mean, I know he was maybe involved in Skyward Sword, but Toru Minigishi, man, I mean, he's he was involved Zelda in Wind Waker as well, be, yeah. He should be totally a part of that process. Well, guys, this is cool. We're actually going to now play you out with a score that at least kind of sounds similar to Twilight Princess. It's a very similar era of sequenced orchestral sounds um, that are definitely better than early GameCube games. And so this is a nice way to send you on your way. It's a very exciting piece. It's Move Out from Fire Emblem Path of Radiance a GameCube game, and this one is composed by Atsushi Yoshida. Well, that does it, guys. That is our spotlight on GameCube music. Again, there's some great stuff we didn't have time for today. We tried to have a mix of some classics, some obvious big popular games, as well as some maybe more obscure choices. Um, I had a really good time with this episode. Will, did you enjoy this? I totally did. I love the GameCube. I have so much nostalgia for it, and yeah, I'll never forget kind of how exciting it was to hold that controller for the first time seeing mario sunshine i have so many good memories of playing multiplayer games with you 
uh, we used to play 007 Nightfire. That was like maybe our, our go-to game. Sad you I know, couldn't include other that things today, would right? Come and, come and go. <laughs> yeah, it's not an exclusive, but yeah, there's so many just delightful memories with that console and just that time in my life. I think I have a lot of fondness for when you were Me in too. high school and we were kind of like, because our two older siblings, I think, had graduated and gone off to college. And so this was a time when it was just sort of Carl and I hanging out. Yeah, it was a time that we got games. especially close and I think we bonded a lot creatively. It was one of the first times we tried to dabble with making things together, whether they were really silly little movies or whatever it was. Uh, we, we started to do that creatively but spent a lot of time playing games and really bonded over our love of video games and music and so that time was really important for us if we think about, you know, the origins of this podcast really, nerding out, yeah. spending hours talking about this stuff just so because we love it. thank you Nintendo and <laughs> and thank you, GameCube, yes, for yes. bringing us together as siblings. Play some GameCube, everybody. I mean, I still have my Wii, and so I'm able to still play. You know, I some never of these got. Is, games. Can I still get that collection of the Mario things? I know that was like a limited run. Yeah, I, I thought it was until like March or something. So yeah, I think you have some time to get it. Um, it's definitely worth it. It's 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 really fun. But I will say, like, going, there's there's some element of the Mario games, at least, that they actually did keep getting better. Like, there is something to be said about Galaxy 2, and it might be yeah. better than all the other ones, like, from a game point of view. It's, so it's, yeah, it I mean, is it's interesting just, how they it, polish Almost like if you think of it something. like a movie, Galaxy 2 is really well edited. It has a great yes, pace. Absolutely. It kind of doesn't waste any time. I think I still love the slowness of Sunshine. In right. the like I, I love when Mario was like story centric, which is There's why more I love maybe Odyssey personality so much. In Sunshine, that yeah. like Odyssey seems like a step back towards like you have characters and they talk and they're funny and there's like it's a little bit slower and taking its time. I could Well I'm anyway, really this is a great that. example, guys. We're probably gonna now nerd out for how many more minutes talking about the Mario series. We can't help it. Well, guys, next week we have the last week of Nintendo Month 2020, and then after that it's going to be a Mercado Radio episode. Boy, did so, we ever need a Nintendo Month this year. <laughs> we really did. To the rescue. Okay, guys, that's it. Enjoy this uh, Fire Emblem Path of Radiance track. My name is Carl Brueggemann. And I'm Will Brueggemann. Have a great week, everybody. Peace out.